This podcast may contain strong language. If you're easily offended, please do not listen. This is grilled. 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 Grilled by the staff canteen. But not grilled like you'd grill a piece of fish. Or anything you want to grill, really. More grilled as in, like, we're going to grill you with questions. We want to know what's inside of you. What's going on in your mind, in your brain. Show us your f***ing feelings. Welcome to Grilled Live. Um, this is a first for us. I'm Cara Houchin. I'm going to be your host this evening. Um, and for anyone who is listening that isn't here, we're actually in the gannets in Glasgow. So if you can hear us all eating and drinking, that is what that noise actually is. This is actually our 164th episode of Grilled, although it is our first live, as I have mentioned. So please strap in, because I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but I'm sure it's going to be fun. So it's absolutely fine. Um, we are... Also managed to persuade this amazing lineup of guests. Um, anyone who's seen the lineup pre this will notice that we are missing Adam Handling. His flight was cancelled, so he couldn't come up today. And we did nearly lose Katrina as well, but she made it. So, yes, she's a soldier. Well done. Um, so we did bribe them with food and drink. So that's why they're here. Um, you guys are going to have exactly the same food and drink. And uh, we're going to talk about that throughout the podcast as well as everything else. Um, just before we start, the podcast is sponsored by Alaska Seafood, so thank you very much to them. And as mentioned, it's kindly hosted by The Gannet in Glasgow. And one of my guests who I'm going to start with is the chef and owner, Peter McKenna. Peter, welcome to Grilled. Woo! <laughs> thank you. Um, and everyone, welcome to The Gannet. Um, for some of you, it's maybe your first time here. For others that I know, been here a few times, so welcome. And having a wonderful table of guests here that I'm going to share dinner with tonight. It's a little bit unusual because usually I'll be in the kitchen. Um, been very kind and you know thoughtful with all my colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we forced you out here. So why did you agree to host this? Because obviously it is a first for us. It's a first for you. You know, that's a good question. I've been asking myself that all day. No idea. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant opportunity to see friends, um, to meet new people, and uh, to have a conversation, you know, speak about our industry, speak about what's going on, have a bit of crack, you know, eat some good food. Why not? Absolutely. Let's introduce the lovely table of people that we're sat with. Um, so firstly, uh, celebrity chef Nick Nairn. Do you like celebrity chef? No, I don't. <laughs> at all. Um, well, we'll drop that then. Um, yeah, just chef. <laughs> chef is good. Chef, okay. Uh, so um, you became the youngest Scottish chef to win a Michelin star, Back correct? in the day, that was a yeah. while ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you've done uh, several... Although I think you point out that Tom Kitchen actually has uh, usurped me for that position. Um, There's no rivalry there, though. None. No, okay. Whatsoever. <laughs> um, and you've done lots of TV shows. The original Ready Steady Cook. The only Ready Steady Cook. <laughs> <laughs> He's done it. <laughs> yeah. Me actually. Oh, no. um, yeah. Yeah. No, it was a kind of strange uh, sort of thing because I was, you know, proper chef. Did my 80, 90 hours a week. And. Um, didn't come out of the kitchen, you know, so I understand for, for Peter what a big deal this is to actually sit in your own restaurant because 
And I'm sure the eyes in the back of your head will be going like, oh my goodness, and you're, you're kind of analysing everything as it happens. And and so I just kind of fell into this by accident. I was in the, the wrong place at the wrong time, the right place at the right time, I don't know which. And I got the gig, and, and I was really quite uh, reluctant to do it because I didn't consider myself to be a telly chef. But suddenly you find yourself sucked into that thing where it's almost irresistible. You know, you suddenly, it, it completely changes your lives. It changes people's perception of you. And it's very difficult to maintain your kind of equilibrium when that happens as quickly as it happened uh, for me back in the day. So I kind of went from being a, a, a proper chef to being a bit of a telly chef. Um, not a celebrity, but just a telly chef. Um, <laughs> and um, it's only actually recently, probably uh, during the pandemic, that I have come back to you know my roots and through necessity uh, I've started cooking again on a regular kind of basis properly being in the kitchen and believe you me at my age it hurts mm-hmm. <laughs> physically, well, <laughs> physically and emotionally I should imagine emotionally well, yeah. <laughs> I mean we'll definitely talk more about that because obviously you do own a number of restaurants successful restaurants with your wife as well who, yeah, is, well, who is here this evening she absolutely is yeah uh, and she is uh, making sure that I don't uh, cross any lines um, but you see I'm drinking <laughs> water so I'm driving tonight so um, I think there's a sense of relief from her <laughs> <laughs> brilliant okay so we also have Hardeep Singh, broadcaster, comedian, writer, chef. The list is a little bit endless. Um, Peter, how do you know Hardeep and why did you want him on the podcast? I've known Hardeep for years. I've been living in Glasgow for 14 years. I met Hardeep not too long after I opened this restaurant. He came stoking in off the street and before he took a seat, he came down to the kitchen to check out who was cooking his food. So we struck up a friendship there and throughout the years we've done charity work. We've cooked it together. Um, we've had a laugh and a drink and he's full of banter you know that's what you want at a table like this right but banter can be translated to another word we probably can't see on a podcast but you can say whatever you like <laughs> on shite. this podcast <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of shite <laughs> brilliant that's what we want from a guest full of shite brilliant <laughs> and last but by no means least um, actress and model Katrina Balf although I have had to write it as Katrina because the extra letters in your name kept really messing me up when I was reading it um, you're best known for your uh, lead role in Outlander um, and we will go more into that because we have talked about that previous to this podcast um, and interestingly chatting to Katrina ahead of this she mentioned that uh, Peter you two actually went to school together so you've known each other from the age of about 12 yeah, 13 probably. correct yeah for sure whatever age you go to secondary school you know <laughs> we would have been in the same class and we'd done something that was um, uh, first off for our school I think it was first off in the country we'd done a transition year so instead of being filed straight into your leaving cert after your junior cert I don't know what it's called over here probably something else so we got Boston. to go out and do orienta- orienteering mountain climbing well you know. they gave us a choice and I think there was only like 13 or 14 of us actually decided to do it so for a year there was 14 of us that nobody knew what to do with us they, they weren't schooling so us they were bringing us out and you know threw we us into all these bunch. very weird situations <laughs> tra- tra- transition year in 2023 means something else altogether <laughs> I think I want to do transition year again I'll take your oh, time yeah, any jokes you don't get are on organic website <laughs> explained <laughs> <laughs> and Peter you said that you actually shared a stage with with Katrina yeah once upon a time I was thinking I'd become a thespian myself no, <laughs> no I did you was... play an old lady 
<laughs> maybe, maybe. I was ahead of the curve, what can I say? It was transitioning. <laughs> um, There's a theme here. <laughs> Oops. Uh, so, yeah, you nearly joined her on, a, on, on the same path. But isn't it strange that you've both come from the same town and then ended up in Glasgow at the same time? At the very same time. At the very same time, I yeah. I got a phone call from Katrina or a message on um, social media or something like that. Just... A week before we were doing our soft launch here, and Katrina was coming over to join the cast of Outlander. So we opened the restaurant the exact same time as you guys As started I started off. filming. Yeah. I was actually here at the soft opening. I heard and, uh, there was free food and booze, and I'm here again because <laughs> I heard there was free food and booze. Another yeah, you, theme. you didn't read any of the email. You just read <laughs> just like, food, food, wine. Brilliant. Okay, okay. Well, I'm sure we will delve more into, into your uh, relationship. Um, Shall we play a game to get started? Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Let's do yeah. it. I've brought my wheel of truth with me this evening. Anyone that listens to the Grilled podcast will be aware of this, um, and you'll know how it works. But for everyone who's sat on this table and anyone in, in here that hasn't listened before, um, basically I'm going to spin it uh, twice um, for each person. Um, and whatever it lands on, you just have to answer honestly. Peter, as you are the host, I feel like you should go first. <laughs> I'm spinning What is the last picture on your camera roll? It's a food. Of course it's a food. <laughs> I'm doing a run-through at my sous chef, Finley, so we're plating up all the dishes you're going to eat tonight, and we're tasting them for the balance of flavour and acidity and etc. So, yeah, it's food. Okay, okay, good answer. You're not showing your phone, but okay. Uh, well, you, you, can, you can see it if you like. No, we believe you. A- we anybody believe that you. knows me knows that it's, yeah, it's my daughter and it's food all over the place. Next, we'll go... We'll, We'll go round the table. Have you ever cheated? And that's in any capacity. Yes. And, and what was that? Well, um... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. But growing up, I mean, I'm, I'm a socialist, but growing up playing Monopoly uh-huh. in a, an emigrant family of erstwhile property developers and landlords... <laughs> It seems to me that capitalism is predicated upon theft itself. Because, um, in the word of Karl Marx, I mean, like, you know, like, all property, by which I mean Assam and Darjeeling, is theft. Um, again, explained on the Gannett website, that's an excellent joke. Um, yes, Monopoly. It seems it was actively encouraged in our house to cheat. Um, and I think, uh, if, if for those of us that have kind of sitting around the table with business folk that have survived, um, recessions and um, uh, the rest of it. Pretty much capitalism is predicated upon cheating. So yes, as a child of Thatcher, I had to cheat. Okay. <laughs> How were you cheating in Monopoly? Were you did, hiding m- money? or? Well, if, if you look at that thing over there, and then I just take the money away. So <laughs> ah, okay, okay, that yeah, one. Typical that one. immigrants coming over here, taking your money. <laughs> you can relax. When I say it is satirical and funny... Well, I thought that before Stella Braverman. There you go. Yes. So, okay, yes, so you have cheated. Brilliant. Katrina, have you ever cheated? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, probably because I'm sitting here, but I, myself and my friend, uh, Sandra, used to write answers for um, school tests under our skirt. And so you'd sit there and then you just turn your skirt up <laughs> and then you'd have the answers there. Then you turn it back down. I never knew that. 
I mean, I went on. through school and did not know that's how you could cheat. Okay. Prizes for innovation. <laughs> that is innovative thinking. It's innovative. <laughs> okay, well, before we spin again, shall we uh, talk through what we have on the table? Right, so when you come to the Gannet, we like to start with some bites, you know, little nibbles, little snacks, um, just to get you going, get you in the mood. Um, and again, we have an ethos here. It's farm to table or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and we don't cut any corners. We, we like to pride ourselves on doing everything from scratch. So we got some little tacos here, um, some offal. So there's lamb sweetbreads. There's a, a mustard mayonnaise and some um, celeriac remoulade. So it's like a celeriac slaw for chefs. Um, and then there's little crustades, um, little charcoal crustades filled with sea trout and cucumber. And then the one that I, I like the most being Irish, um, white pudding. So mm. we do a little beignet with white pudding. So we make the white pudding. We use all the offal. We use the pork, lots of spices in there, barley. Um, and yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. Caucasian pudding, we call it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a place for I'm, black pudding too. I love that too. I've got American pudding. It's all good. <laughs> I'm sold on the white pudding, that's for sure. It's amazing. Um, and then this one here came from a conversation with one of my chefs down there. We love mapu tofu. So it's one of my go-to dishes. If I'm out I really, if, and there's a restaurant that does it, I'm all over it. So we were thinking about how we could put a mapu tofu style spin on something we do. So we've got a arrowgrass oil, which is coriander flavor. You know, it grows wild here. A taste of coriander is bizarre. Um, then we've got mapu tofu. So we made a mushroom mapu tofu. So shiitake mushrooms, all the usual spices that goes into it. Uh, and then we pureed it and we, we rolled the tofu in it. We dried out the tofu, rolled it in that, warmed it up, put it on top of the oyster. I think it's very good. You can tell me what you think in a second. <laughs> I try to come at least once every menu change and, you know, another couple of times on top. And that was a different dish when I came two weeks ago. And that's what I love about this place this is the first time I'm serving that yeah, you know, so do you know how wild that is <laughs> on, a, on a podcast with all you guys looking at me <laughs> in a room with I loads of that. chefs <laughs> and I, and I think that is that if, if ever there was a microcosm of why this place is the amazing place it is and you are the talent you are is that you won't be hampered by Hardy, safety, I can't give you me? any more money you can't say anything that's good about it <laughs> I'm, I'm an immigrant I'd only have to declare it anyway um but I think that's what's so interesting because I was actually watching Mapu Tofu videos last night in bed when I couldn't sleep. Because that's why we're friends. Too. I know. We are. I mean, I just think that's an amazing combination. But that's that's what great chefs do. They evolve. They take dishes and you 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 constantly tinker around right? the edges and you know you play about with them and, and then, then suddenly you go, oh, I know I've got it all wrong. And you kind of chuck it. You out better eat it before the tofu goes cold. <laughs> 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 Katrina, what is it like? Obviously, seeing you've known him a long time and now he's producing his amazing food in front of you. Is it what you thought you would be doing when you met him when he was 12? <laughs> I mean, Peter's always been super impressive. Um, but I remember when, when he started cooking, you started cooking at the Mediterraneo, right? Yeah, that would have yeah, been yeah, your first. Yeah. Um, and so he was, I mean, Peter's always been someone who was like really into food and music and all the kind of things. I think that's why we were always friends. You said he had um, the best playlist. Always had the best playlist. I don't know always about that. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely was demanding with my playlist, but I thought it was the best. <laughs> <laughs> but to see him progress and like, you know, the one thing people can't see is how beautiful this setting is and like 
all of these little bits woven in and what looks like the most gorgeous nest. I mean, that's the creativity and the playfulness and everything is so beautiful. So. Do you know, one of the things about great food, it stays, the taste stays in your mouth such a long time, the finish of it, and it kind of changes as you go. So you get a bit of the brininess of the oyster and then there's a little bit of the tofu and it, it keeps changing your mouth. And that's the mark, I think, of great dishes with that. You know, they, they leave a residue after you've eaten them. Well, mapu tofu is like the bolognese, you know, of yeah. Chinese food, Sichuan food. So there's a lot goes in there. You know, it's, it's magic and the umami hit from it. And I figured oysters, the great foil. Mm. But, but, but also when you pair oysters with something so, un, you know, that, 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 that traditionally doesn't go with oysters, you open up a, a different level of flavour in the oyster itself. I mean, you're really getting those ozone flavours that are there, but they seem to be peaking in a different space. Carry on so, yeah. eating. I shall spin the wheel. Katrina, it's, it's oh, your go God. next, OK? One thing that you have never done and you never will do. Well, I'll never, I'll never open a restaurant because I have too much respect for people who do because I know how bloody hard work it is. Um... And yeah, I just, that's why I think I have so much admiration for like people who do it and do it really well and do it successfully because it's, a, you know, it's really, really tough. But yeah. to do it well is like an amazing feat that is, I don't know, takes a very special person. So that's, I yeah, I'm reminded of Meatloaf, the late Meatloaf. <laughs> I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> Nobody's ever really been conclusively sure about what, what that, that was. was but yeah. he wasn't doing it, I'm certain. <laughs> I never would. Right, next. What is the first thing that you wash in the shower, Nick? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, because it's my hands. Your hands? Yeah. Do you know, I hate, do you know how you get um, shower gel? To, I hate that because it goes all over the place. I like soap, like a bar of soap. Oh, okay. In a shower, so I can, On a rope? Uh, no, no, that's not not not, not open a rope. No, um, uh, old fashioned, yes, but not that old fashioned. Okay. Um, so yeah, my hands. You're going hands, I'm, Peter. What do you wash first? My hair. Straight in with the hair. Yeah, straight in with the hair. Okay, okay. Cold. Um, at the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I always finish cold. Yeah, yeah for How sure. How long for? Not not too long. A minute maybe, but just oh, enough respect. to you know get me going. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in my house, you only do that because I've never got enough 50p pieces, so it does get. Cold <laughs> do you wash your legs in the shower? No. Well, this is quite a controversial it topic. Controversial. Isn't I kind it? of assume that enough. Yeah, all right. But you don't soap your legs, do you? Yeah. You don't soap your legs. No, but do I do dry brushing pre shower sometimes, not all the time. Ooh, but... Someone's got time on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> Takes all of like two minutes. Peter, we're back to you. Oh, we're, we're staying in the bathroom. Um, what do you normally think about when you are sat on the toilet? You had no idea this was coming, did you? Certainly not. What that is pretty much what he thinks about when he's sat on the toilet. <laughs> How much of a relief it is to have a space to myself, you know, probably. I've got a young daughter, you know, busy household, busy work, you know, having that time to yourself. Did any lock brilliant. the door? <laughs> Well, it doesn't matter if I lock the door. My daughter will still come in. You know, like, Daddy. I mean, God, I don't know. I'm kind of at the moment, it's sort of similar to Peter. I have a small child and like busy. So it's like if I'm at work, what I'm thinking of a lot of the time is if I've managed to get all of my skirts up 
and not get horse shit on myself <laughs> um, or horse pee because that's usually what my skirts are like soaking up as I'm walking through the fields. Um, so that's, yeah, I'll leave you with that one. That's what I think about sometimes. Enjoy your snacks, everybody. <laughs> I mean, worryingly, I get a knock on the toilet door and I live on my own, so... <laughs> but that's Denison for you. Nobody closes the front door. <laughs> okay, next... Who is the fifth person on your missed call list, Katrina? Oh, that's me. Yeah. Um, God, I don't know. Um, one, two, three, four. Oh, that's, that's so sad. It's my agent. <laughs> no, is it? Are you purposely Can I just say it's my up? other? No, no. I don't know what I was doing. I never answer my phone on the first go, really. Do you know? I well, it's just because I'm... I always have my phone on silent for some okay. reason, because when you're shooting, you always have it on silent, and then... I never remember to take it off silent, so, yeah. Hadi? Um, a, a friend of mine called Sophie, who um, hopes to be the next uh, woman uh, astronaut. She's, um, she, yeah, so, yeah. She's, um, that's... But we need, I, think, I feel like we need more from that. Yeah, no, she's amazing. She's an astrophysicist. She genuinely is. You know, when you sit around a table and people say, oh, it's not rocket surgery, um, <laughs> it is for her. It is for her. Would yeah. you like to go into space? <laughs> I mean, I struggle to get to Edinburgh after three o'clock <laughs> on a Friday, to be honest. Um, I'd rather go to space than Edinburgh, actually, to be honest with you, because at least folk will talk to you in space. <laughs> Anyone from Edinburgh here? No one will say yes, because they don't actually want to have a conversation. <laughs> but apparently they've got a castle. I don't know if they've ever fucking mentioned it, but they've got a castle. <laughs> you know, we talk a lot about institutionalised racism. How am I going to get a helmet? <laughs> That's, all the space agencies have single-handedly kept the Sikhs out. <laughs> do you get a dispensation on a motorbike? I do. Because Tony Singh told me that he gets a dispensation. I didn't believe him. So we but... should tell them that nice wee story. So you know our Tony, Tony Felith, Tony Singh. So this is never, I don't think this has ever happened to the BBC since. 25 years ago, when Nick and I first met, I was directing for Food and Drink. And I was directing Nick. I mean, can you imagine? I didn't sleep the night before. Nick Nairn, directing Nick Nairn. And Tony Singh was the uh, guest host. Two Sikh men um, and, um, and Nick Nairn on a, on a, a shoot for uh, the BBC. I don't think it's ever happened since. And that was your first that was, meeting? Yeah. That was Tony's first foray in a presenting. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't let him come back for five years because nobody could understand his heavy accent. By which Are I mean you? Leith accent. Right, brother. <laughs> right next one um, is there a conspiracy theory that you um, actually believe so I love the idea that um, they had a big um, film set and they filmed the guys landing on the moon oh that, 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 yes. is, that is a brilliant one that is a, a brilliant and one and a dog runs through the set at one point <laughs> Um, so, yeah, and I would love to think that that was uh, some kind of reality, but of course, we went to the moon. You know, it's like Nessie. Oh, right, sorry. Okay, I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Pete. I think I've got the Scottish tourist board on the line for you there, mate. <laughs> oh, it's real. It's real. Yes, not a big log. No, definitely not. No. I believe it's a conspiracy theory that uh, Rangers always get a penalty <laughs> at Ibrox. <laughs> Just because it's statistically accurate doesn't mean. They don't deserve every penalty 
they get. You'll be pleased to know that's the end of the wheel. Well done, you've all made it through. Um, I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, allow the audience to ask you a few questions. Oh, and then wait. we will... Uh... <laughs> out, of the, out of the frying pan. I think we need another drink on this table. <laughs> Hi, my name is Sophie, and I have a question for uh, Katrina. Um, Katrina, I know that you travel the world from a very young age doing modelling, and that was a big part of your life, going from place to place. And I wonder if there was ever a dish or a food that made you kind of go back home and made you miss home back Ireland? My mom is, my mom makes, um, and I'm saying this before I've tasted this, Peter, okay? <laughs> my mom makes amazing brown bread and that always makes me think of home and whenever I go home that's one of the first things that I kind of like ask her to, to give me. Um, I don't know, I mean I think rather than when you're eating away things make you think of home I think it's it's more that they sort of bring you f into new places and like you you get an experience that is very different from home and I think that's the thing that I've really loved about traveling is that every country that I've gone to is like trying that cuisine and really you know going outside my own comfort zone and eating things that I wouldn't normally eat and you know, I, I've loved that. I've loved the just being able to try different food everywhere. Um, some amazing and some strange, but you know, it's it it sort of yeah, it just op expands your horizons and opens your senses in a way that we didn't necessarily have in Monaghan. <laughs> my mother and my grandmother used to make fantastic apple pie. So if I smell apple pie, you know, the old classic sweet pastry yeah. apple pie. With the lid on top and the cloves. Oh, my God. It's interesting what Katrina was saying about submerging yourself, immersing yourself. I think um, the best way to understand a, a foreign culture, an alien culture, is through their food. You understand, and this is sort of a shame with the globalisation of food. So, for example, if you look in the Middle East just now, in the Gulf states, 50% of women are um, suffering from obesity. And if you plot that on a chart, it's the chart where Western food came along, you know. So if you go, when I was in Japan in 92, 93, modelling, not that you asked me about modelling. Um, we just missed I, each other. Just missed each other, yeah, by about 40 years. Um, when I was over filming there, I used to eat at all the subway stations. Um, and you really got on, and you were eating with the Japanese. You were experiencing life and seeing it through the, their lens. And you, un you understand the food and the culture. Um, simultaneously, I think. Yeah, it's a, um, a couple of years ago, I was in Accra, and um, it's really sad that, you know, we had some of the most amazing, like the peanut stews and, and, and things like that, but then you see in kind of the area where it's considered, you know, sort of more well-off and where more Western stay, everybody's eating Western food because that's the kind of, you know, status symbol, and it's shit. You know, it's just all fast food, and it, and and you know, the traditional food is just so amazing and so incredible. And you know, we were wanting to go and eat that, and they were like, "Oh, you don't want to go and eat here?" And you're like, "No, I, I really don't want a Wendy's. <laughs> you know, I want to have like this kind of like amazing authentic experience." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. My my dad was a very plain eater, and um, thought that. Herbs and spices were the work of the devil and should never be brought into our house. Um, <laughs> so I grew up on a diet of um, broth, roast meat, mince and ties, stew, um, and that was about it. So I'd never really tasted anything. And then I joined the Merchant Navy as a navigator. 
when I found myself age 17 in Singapore, sitting on a little um, concrete stool, and these kids were grilling uh, uh, um, sati sticks on, on bamboo skewers over little um, braises they made out of uh, biscuit tins, and they're sitting on their on their feet, and they're sitting on, on at your feet, and they pass them up, and you dip them into this bowl of what looked like puke, but it was proper authentic uh, peanut <laughs> sauce with globules of oil and bits of peanuts and chili and coriander. And, this, and I put it in my mouth, and it just blew my mind because my, I suddenly realised my whole food knowledge was in black and white, and suddenly someone flicked a switch, and it was in ten o'clock. And at that moment, age seventeen, I knew that I didn't know what I was going to do, but a chef, but I knew that food would play a part in my life because I'd never tasted anything like that before. And then I went on to eat forty sati sticks and made myself <laughs> sick, uh, but still, um, I remember that moment to this day. Exactly, as, as Katrina was saying, that's where you want to go. It's, it's your satay experience on it. And that's what's changed about Glasgow so much since, you know, you were very much at the vanguard of the kind of revolution here. I don't think so. There was plenty of people doing great stuff before we arrived. Um, I, I think, I think you, you were a watershed. Um, yeah, I definitely think so, actually. You know, um, like now, we, like we were, our next lunch is going to be... Free. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a Szechuan meal. And I love the fact that now you don't refer to a Chinese restaurant, yeah, it's a Szechuan restaurant. Yeah. You know, there are restaurants in Glasgow where I will go where we go for our dim sum. So we go to a certain place for dim sum. You have a real love for Chinese food as uh, well, yeah, haven't you? Yeah. So like, the way like, folk in, in, in Glasgow go out for a curry on a Friday night, folk in India go out for a Chinese on a Friday night. So all the big hotels, the big five-star hotels like the Taj Group and all that in India, Nick will tell you, their premier prestigious restaurant out of the seven or eight they've got on site is the Chinese, and it's a Chinese chef they've brought in. Then you go to Calcutta. Calcutta's got sixth generation Indian Chinese, and you're eating dim sum, you know, shulong bao, hargao, proper Cantonese dim sum with chilies and coriander. It's nuts. Oh, wow. But delicious. Incredible. Incredible. And you told me that that was your reasoning behind not immediately moving back to Glasgow from London because you were scared that the Chinese wouldn't be good enough. Do you know what? And I, you know, it sounds like a joke, but it's true. When I was in Edinburgh for two years, I broke my fall coming back because when you come from this city, it's bad enough you have to leave it once, but to leave it again... You know, to come back and not settle and have to go back to London again was not was unconscionable for me. So I had to make sure there was good Chinese food here because you know there, there were times I remember my accountant phoning me up and put my expenses in and said um, she said you've got it wrong you've put down two, these Chinese meals for a, a month when it should be over the year and I said no that's a month. <laughs> so I was eating every day because my staff canteen was Chinatown you know. But there again, you see, it breaks my heart when I see some folk who are not educated about Chinese food. This is a culture, you know, when we were rubbing our backsides with leaves, they were creating beautiful vases, and you know, they designed the art of war while we were having a square go outside City Nick Station on a Thursday night. <laughs> you know, this is an ancient culture, and for me, there's a, there's a dumpling called the Sulong Bao, which we've had, which is called the, the, the soup dumpling. Mm. Um, and for me, seriously... The all, every question you could ask the universe is contained in that dumpling. That dumpling is the answer. It's the perfect balance between pastry, soup, and meat. And you can take that, and, you, and I'm sure the Catholics were inspired when they thought about the Holy Trinity. You know, <laughs> I'm sure any, play, any team that plays with three in midfield, you know, I do genuinely think, or maybe not, I don't know. But yeah. Peter, what have we just eaten? 
Right, so we touched upon it earlier on there. You know, we were talking about travel, we were talking about memories, we were talking about, you know, what inspired us um, and how food can do that. And when I was a young fella, I was um, working in Sydney, Australia, and I had the, the pleasure and the honour and 17 hours graft a day of working for a, a, an amazing chef called Liam Tomlin. Um, I owe him a debt of gratitude to this day because I was a wee bit wayward as a youngster and he beat me into shape, quite literally. Um, and, and one of the dishes he had on, it was a kingfish. We don't get kingfish over here, but it's fantastic fish. You get it over Australia and Australasia, all them waters. Uh, and we used to do this Vietnamese dressing. Um, and I forgot about this Vietnamese dressing for years and years. And I don't know what sparked it, but I made it in here maybe. I was actually, you know what it was? It was through lockdown. And we were thinking about what could we do? You know, what, what, what can we give her? customers that want to taste as a gannet but at home and I thought well people love oysters you know people don't like shucking oysters let's see if we can do something like that we got a load of glass jars and we'd shuck the oysters we cleaned the shells and you know we we actually delivered it as well Kevin there that's walking around <laughs> was delivering <laughs> and much to my amusement and you know <laughs> he hated it but anyway <laughs> but yeah Liam Tomlin's dressing came to mind and I started making it again and I thought why did I not make this it must have been 15 years since I was in a street no more than 16 years and I've totally forgot about it but when I started making it again I was blown away I was like this is amazing I love it so today I've done it with a uh, Gia Halibut and you know, this is quite topical because just in the news this week, or maybe late last week, we found out that um, Gia are going to stop farming hal halibut. And to me, it's one of the, you know, people think about Scotch um, farm salmon or sea trout. I'm not into it at all. Um, but the halibut blows my mind. It's one of, like, Nick, you, you use it. Yeah, I've used it for 20 years, and, it, and I've been out to see it as well. I mean, it, it, it's... It's a pumped system, so they pump water around, it's seawater out of the sea, there's a big tank, the fish swim around. And, you know, the, the, the product is amazing, but it's incredibly expensive. I guess that's where, you know, it's expensive to do because of the energy cost of pumping the water and, and, and all the rest of it. But it's delicious. And I love that. That's kind of Nam Jim type. Yeah, that's that sweet, taste. sour, you know, yeah. and then you've got your, your pickled shallots on there, you've got crisp shallots on there, you've got the fresh... Um, baby coriander lifts it, you know, uh, it's everything that you want from a, you know, a, a light starter, I think. I don't know. What do you guys think? Decent? Good. There you go. They've spoken. The people have spoken. There we go. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm referred to, I'm referred to Peter as being a leader in his field. It was, it, it was, until he came, we didn't have fish. It was the batter in this city. Oh so, my well, God. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> There again, it's, it's, it's look at the best fish and chips comes from the Monte Carlo and Monaghan. I'm telling you, oh, beef dripping with some all the way. On top. Come on. <laughs> beef dripping and chips, though, is great. It has to be said. <laughs> Obviously, as a profound seek, I don't eat beef and I'm a vegetarian and don't drink. Uh huh. How's that working out <laughs> for you? <laughs> what is the most embarrassing thing that you've ever said or done on live? TV or social media, um, or have you ever used the incorrect word at the incorrect time? I was once giving a keynote speech um, at a well-known university, not a million miles from here, and emboldened by a large amount of alcohol, I thought it would be hilarious to use the F-bomb in my opening remarks. Um, and I genuinely silenced the room. 
and um, never been asked back again. Never, <laughs> never expect to be asked back again. Yeah. So, yeah, that didn't work out too well. Okay. Katrina and I were talking earlier the the the, the challenges of living between Scotland and, and London. And uh, one of the ones I had was coming back up the road. I, I love our language here. I love the the, the crackling nature of our uh, vernacular. I mean, how there are a few languages and dialects I know that are more expressive than Scots. Um, but of course, in this city particularly, there's a certain four-letter word that doesn't begin with F that we use with a degree of um, liberalism, shall we say. It's, it's, I'm not going to say it, don't worry. It has been used on this podcast before, I'm by sure the it has, way. but listen, the last thing I want to do is make a massive cunt of myself. So I'm not. <laughs> but what folk need to understand is we use that word differently here. You can be a good one. Uh-huh. I mean, a big one. Do you know what it's I mean? the same in Ireland. The, but I, I, I don't know that we use it as much as people are I don't know if you grew up in McKenna's pub you probably would have (laughs) but but I was when I moved to Denison for the first time I remember coming down the street there was a granny with her her grand wayne in the pram and the wee uh, the wee boy was having a a good cry so she comes round with I mean it was a quenchy cup she comes round um, with a soft drink gives it to him he's a good wee cunt and I thought well if you send that to her grandson then surely it's good enough for me but my mistake was calling my bank manager one so um (laughs) <laughs> the overdraft facility was removed. <laughs> I remember the first time I was called that in the street here. Funny. No, my love, I think they were saying cult <laughs> no. is what they were saying to you. <laughs> really? I, yeah, I was, I'd just been to, I mean, I, he wasn't wrong. I'd just been to the Apple store. So I did have an Apple store bag on my, on my shoulder and I was walking down Sucky All Street and this couple had obviously nicked something from a shop and were booting it down the street and she was running in flip-flops and he was running something else and then this poor security guard was trying to chase them and it was very funny and I was laughing to myself as I was walking down Sucky Hall Street going like this is hilarious and some guy was walking past and he was like what you laugh I'm not gonna say it he was like what are you laughing at you middle class bit and I was like oh all right but it was very funny and then I laughed more I was like oh welcome to Glasgow this is great For chefs that are looking to source sustainable and top quality seafood, look north to Alaska. Seafood from Alaska is caught in some of the most pristine waters in the world. The fish swim free and mature at a natural pace. There's more than just your local catch. Alaska is home to an abundance of wild, natural and sustainable seafood. Everything from Alaska salmon to varieties of whitefish and delicious shellfish. Alaska seafood is responsibly managed and harvested. Buying Alaska supports generations of fishing families and communities whose livelihood depends on maintaining a natural, healthy resource. To find out more about the benefits of Alaska seafood, visit wildalaskaseafood.co.uk. Hardy, people might not know, but you trained as a lawyer. I did. You went into broadcasting. You're a comedian, a writer, a chef. Which job role was your favourite so far? And which of those did you actually set out to be as a child? When I grow up, I want to be. Well, well, interestingly, um, I love all the things I've done because I think all of them, in a sense, um, are are about telling stories. Particularly when you come to a restaurant like this and, and you hear the stories about the food and how it got on the plate. Comedy is about stories. Broadcasting is about conveying a story. So for me, it's stories because people are my thing. I, I love people. I think the connection we have 
uh, as human beings is really the greatest power we own. Our truth is our greatest power. Um, and from a young age, I kind of wanted to, you know, I mean, I, I, literally these streets here, my dad would, you know, when he was doing his, his business with drivers around, and this was the only part of Glasgow, he would lock the car doors when he left us in the car. Um, these streets are, these streets are my streets, this is my city, this is my country, and one part of being, particularly from Glasgow, is a sense of social justice. So for me growing up, it was always to stand, stand up for the downtrodden, that's a very Sikh thing. I was schooled by the Jesuits, so that's a very Jesuit thing. So I, I just, I love connecting with people, I think, we are, we are better than we think we are. And I think through pandemic, we really witnessed that. I mean, listen, a lot of people had a hard time, but I'm, overnight I lost a year's work. A year's work, and, it, and I thought it was the, the, the finances I was gonna miss and the experience, but actually it was the people. You couldn't hug anyone. You know, you couldn't shake hands. You couldn't talk to anyone in the street. So for me, yeah, it's, it's all about people, food and people. And you said, um Food has become your passion in the last 10 years, that's what you said? Yeah. 10, 15 years, yeah. yeah. This place is unique to me for, for so many reasons. I've cooked in three-star kitchens, two-star kitchens, one-star kitchen. I've cooked with Nick, I've cooked with some amazing chefs. This is the only time, and I say this, and Peter always tells me to shut up, it's the only time in my life I had to step back from the past because I felt I was in too deep. And I never forget that. I'll never, it was the best lesson I learned. I prepared, I've prepared better for every meal since that day when we did that pop-up about five, six years ago. <laughs> You know, um, it was an amazing experience because here's the thing about life and food in particular. I used to say to folk, you know, I, I've made more um, mistakes in the kitchen than you've had hot dinners. And you'd have had a few hot, few more hot dinners if I hadn't made so many mistakes. <laughs> but I think particularly with food, you have to fail. You have to fail and understand your failure to succeed. And that's what I love about this world. You know, that you can become friends, close friends, family with chefs, regardless of their background, because food is such a unifying thing. When Katrina said what she said earlier on about exploring food, it just I just felt a real warmth and connection. Anyone that thinks about food that way, it's a bit like if you don't like dogs. Who are you if you don't like dogs? <laughs> I mean, who are you if you don't love food? I don't get it. Anyway. Brilliant. There's a bowl of custard here. On, on that yeah, topic, what, you know, we've got we food got in here? front of us. It's warm. Um, we should eat it while it's warm. Very humble dish. It's potato and it's cheese. So you got this wonderful cheese in the West Western Islands here. It's the Isle of Mull cheddar. Um, potato dumplings. And at the moment, we got lots of wild garlic. So this is really, really simple. Wild garlic, potato and cheese. You know, as a, as a real Irish dish, isn't it, really? I feel like we're all yeah, holding right. back. Going, it's a real oh. Scottish dish. It's a, it's a, it's a real really, really simple. <laughs> this is so amazing. Did you all, around this table, have you all ended up being what you wanted to be as a child? Katrina, did you, was actresses? Yeah, I was that annoying little brat. I always wanted to be an actress, which... Um, but it took me a while to get there. I mean, I didn't start acting until... I don't think I got my first job until I was over 30. So um, I definitely did a detour first. But I think, I think in, in many ways, that's a good thing, you know. Katrina was one of them people, that, you know, as we said earlier on, I've known her since she was you know, 12 or, you know, whatever it was, 13, whatever, whatever age you were, just barely into your, your, your teens. And um, you always looked at her, you knew she was going to do something, she was going to do something great. You know, she was always that sort of character. 
people would follow her, you yeah. know, and, and to see where she's got to now is no surprise to me. Um, this is amazing. Wild garlic, by the way, I'm so excited that it's wild garlic season mm. and this is just... Peter introduced me to wild garlic a good few years ago and I take my dog walking down by the Kelvin <sighs> a couple of years ago when he was a wee pup. I'd be gathering these massive handfuls of wild garlic down by the river until um, there was that kind of awkward silence and look behind there's three workies with strimmers uh, as if I was taking their job away from them. They were meant to be strimming the wild garlic and I explained to them it's delicious in a soup. I didn't think they got me. Oh, I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> my, my wife Chala, she was in here for lunch with some of her pals years back and, you know, a load of girls got together. They're getting on the cocktails, getting on the wine. And Chala thought she was grand, thought she was reasonably sober. She, we live the other side of the park from here. We live up beside the botanics. So she walked through the park. And she, after having wild garlic soup, one of her courses, or maybe it was Angolotti, I can't remember. Um, but she, she saw this wild garlic in the, the side coming down beside the Kelvin. She climbed up on the wall, <laughs> dressed up, out for lunch. Picking the wild garlic so she could go home and make some soup. <laughs> <laughs> and she, I got home after work and she goes, oh, Peter, oh, she was proud as punch. He tastes this wild garlic soup. I taste it. This is a wild garlic. <laughs> it was marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> she was picking the wild leeks because you get wild leeks yes. growing right beside the wild garlic and a good handful of grass. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on the record here. Fantastic soup, honey. Well Did done. you ask her to make it again? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a no. Can I ask, do you go foraging for your own wild garlic? or where, of where course. Do Well, we haven't for this because we've been so busy. But yeah, um, the whole team there, we, we were closed a few days a week. You know, we've got this economic crisis, you know, so you, you have to really balance your business. So my way of balancing my business and cutting my overheads, we're closing three days of the week. You know, so I didn't have to employ more staff, you know, because the staff costs are huge. You know, I'm sure myself and Nick will get into this later on. Um, but since we've got so many days off and we don't hate each other's company, we sometimes go out foraging together. Yeah, whether it's seaweed or mushrooms. and um, we're, we're quite lucky. We have a lot of friends that are really not just into it, but our leaders in the field, the likes of Monica Wilde brings us out. She's a herbalist. She's fantastic. Check out her book, The Wilderness Cure. Such a talent. And she's right here on her doorstep, um, about half an hour outside Glasgow. So she brings us out. She's a wealth of information. Um, and then other friends bring us mushroom picking. You know, we have it all here. We're lucky. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll never go back to Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we'd let you go, frankly. But you're, you've always had the most amazing selection of mushrooms on the menu here. Well, I love mushrooms. <laughs> from a very young age. <laughs> I think you Katrina, don't comment on that. Anyone want to play the Doors track now? That would be great. <laughs> so you have to pick just one mushroom. Which yeah, one? Good question. The porcini, of course. Yeah. Ah. Oh, come on, I've yeah, got a few good yeah. spots. It's the king. Uh, sticking with ingredients, you told me that your ingredient at heaven is pork belly, Hardeep. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite way, or, or is it too hard to decide? No, I mean, I think that's part of my love affair with Chinese food is the preponderance of um, the pig in um, how they eat. And I think it's the perfect fusion of the white meat of chicken and, and game and um, kind of the, the, the red meats for me. Um, I came up with a dish when I was doing, um, I think um, necessity is the mother of invention. We had folk 
when we, we when the kids were we, um, I still wanted to entertain. I still wanted to have folk around for dinner, for for food, and lunch was the easiest dinner to do. But you could, you were always busy on a Sunday morning with kids. My kids grew up in London, so I came up with a recipe for overnight roast pork belly, um, with thyme and pears, um, and you 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 let it down with some pear cider, um, and it was just sometimes you sit and you put a combination of ingredients in your mouth. And I, I feel that with every dish I've ever had in this institution, um, it just feels like those things were meant to be together, you know? But if I only had to eat pork belly for the rest of my life, I'd be so happy. And I think, I do feel sorry for my Jewish and my Muslim friends. I just, I don't believe in God because if there was a God, why would she ban the most delicious of all meats for two of the world's biggest religions? <laughs> the one city you're not meant to talk about religion in. But there you go. <laughs> so from your food heaven, Katrina, your food hell, you told me. Well, yeah. I mean, turnips from when I was a kid. I mean, I just don't understand why. My when you were a kid, did you have sweet or turnip? See, this, I probably don't white, even know. White, white or orange? Orange. Turnip. Yeah. You see, most no. people call it, I, when I was growing up, that was a turnip. Uh-huh. You know, and then I had to unlearn that because everywhere I went after that, because I left Ireland when I was 19, you know, and started traveling and cooking and everyone was looking at me, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> turnip? What? That's not a turnip. So is, that, so is that a Swede? That's a Swede. So I've been hating Swedes. Yeah, so you might love time. turnips. <laughs> so actually your food hell. It's yeah, sweet. But, and, and, you know, it's this thing when I first came to, to Scotland as well, you know, like neeps and taddies and stuff. And I was like, oh, no, I just it's. My, you know, my poor mom had a lot of kids, you know, she didn't have the time that she needed to like give the attention. So there was a lot of boiling went on, like, you know, things were put in a pot and they were put on the hot stove and then she was doing a million other things. So by the time it reached your place, it didn't always taste the best. (laughs) And that's her, she's the most amazing baker, but like some of the vegetables kind of died along the way. Um... (laughs) And I've just, and I used to be made eat it. Like that, I think that was the thing. I was like made, you know, clean my plate. So it would kind of like you'd shovel a spoonful in your mouth and then you'd drink down with milk or whatever, which is also gross when you think about it. But, Did you ever um, hear of the cabbage water? Oh, yeah. Because yeah, this was a big thing to, in our household. Yeah. My mother was a brilliant cook. You know, she would make Indian food, Greek food. You know, she was very adventurous, especially for Monaghan back then in the 80s. Um, but they'd done this strange thing where they'd put the cabbage into a pot and they put the, the, the heels of the bread on top of it and they oh, cooked no. the fucking arse out of it for hours and hours <laughs> and hours. And then for some reason they thought, ah, you know, all the goodness then is in the water. <laughs> Instead of cooking it for a very short space of time and leaving <laughs> all the goodness in the actual cabbage. And then my father would sit and drink the cabbage water because it's full of iron. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, it was rank. It's times like that, you know, you were really grateful you could still smoke in a pub. Because <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in a pub if people were drinking cabbage now. Uh-uh. Let's put that behind us. Um, then it would be behind you. So Katrina, what about you? Where would we find you in Glasgow? Where's your go-to places to oh, eat God. or have a cocktail when you have some time? I don't know. I mean, the last time I was out for cocktail was a very long time. Um, well, God, I, I think I said this to you. Like, sometimes when I do get a chance to sneak away, I sort of have to combine a few things. I do. Sorry, I do like to go to the CCA. Um, 
try and like see an exhibition and then I love to sit in that atrium and they have like a great they have a great cafe there that does like these beautiful vegetable dishes it's all vegan it's really beautiful um that's kind of one of my spots I feel really sad because I actually have no life so this is like I feel like in the last two three years I haven't been out that much (laughs) so I'm just gonna move on (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) um I'm gonna stick with you you did say that um when you do have time off you do like to cook Mm-hmm. So what is your signature dish? If we're all coming around for dinner, what are you cooking for us? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know that I have a signature dish, and I probably should. I do like to... I do a lot of reading of recipes. Like, that's... When I'm at work, I do a lot of, like... I'll be on... I, you know, I have Mark Bittman and the New York Times and stuff, and I like to read. And then I like to combine and create in my own head. Um, So I like to experiment a lot, and that sometimes (laughs) works and sometimes doesn't. Um, And I like trying new things. Like, there's a great um, little African shop on Great Western Road, and, like, the cassava and stuff like that. I like to try that, and sometimes it works out brilliantly. Um, Sometimes it doesn't. If, If I've made something really shit, then I'll roast a chicken. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know I, I think I'm not a recipe follower I, 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 I like to think about I guess it's like what you're saying it's like you know when it's seasonal or who's coming and what will they like and you try and put things together and you know even if you don't have a lot of time I mean like recently I love making like kimchi stews and things mm. like that and then like you know having the egg nice and sort of doing it like a shashuka, but it's with kimchi and stuff like that. I don't know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'm like sitting with chefs. I feel completely embarrassed yeah, right but now. All these chefs yeah, definitely will have had... Kimchi and eggs a... works. It's a great combo. You definitely will have had trial and error, like 100%. Of course, always still yeah, have trial and error. Yeah. You know, you've you got to be constantly, if you, if you want to put something new on, you've got to play about with it. You're never getting it right first time. So you, you're okay. You're among friends. <laughs> um, oh, God, I got the pressure there for a second. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to allow some questions from the audience. We haven't had one for a little while. So. Hi, uh, my name is Haley. Um, today is International Women's Day. Uh, so I wanted to kind of point that out. Uh, what a lovely way to spend it with my idol. And, um, my question for Katrina, but also everyone else is, Oh, what, who is a woman in your own life or that has influenced you personally, your career? Anyone else, like a woman in your life who has influenced you and inspired you to be where you are today in terms of your career or your personal life? You know, I, I look, I come from, my mom is incredibly inspiring and inspirational. And I, I think you don't realize until you get a little bit older how much our mothers did for us and how much they, you know, I and I apologize now, mom, for saying your food was not up to scratch, but it was amazing. Like my, my mom, when I think about how she had five kids by the time she was 30 and did all of that, it's, it's incredible. So yeah. Nick, who's your uh, inspirational woman? Um, my wife, um, like Peter. Yeah. And, uh, she's here tonight. Um, I haven't been very good at wives over the years. <laughs> 
started so well. <laughs> no. Um, so, um, so that's my third uh, wife. Uh, um, but she and she started out working for me, um, and she quite rightly uh, detested me um, for being a complete arsehole. Um, but she is single-handedly responsible for making me less of an arsehole than I was when I met her. So, well done, um, well done Julia. <laughs> um, I just, before we move on, I'd just like to say how it's so nice we get one day. I just, you know, I just want to acknowledge that. Just, just the it's, one. It's great. I mean, I think it's Thanks. remarkable. You've had the vote for over 100 years and we're almost going to pay you the same. So, you know, <laughs> smash the patriarchy. Heading in the right direction. <laughs> Do we have another question? My name is Cal Montgomery. I'm from Edinburgh Lodge in the Isle of Skye. So I'd ask, like to ask Nick, um, he's been one of the real sort of forefront of Scottish hospitality for many, many years now. Hospitality is probably getting like a, a really sort of tough time just now. I'm just wondering for somebody who's been top of the industry for so long, if you feel like just now is the toughest time that you've seen for hospitality? Or if not, have you seen a tougher time and how have you come through it before? Thanks, Callum. I'd love to say that I have seen a tougher time, but I haven't. This is an extraordinary set of circumstances that our industry has never really had to, to meet head on. We've got this perfect storm of problems with um, labour costs, uh, of material costs, um, energy costs, a massive kind of issue. And we have all of these things as we move into recession. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure like many people in, in hospitality over the last couple of years, you have questioned why we do it because it is so hard and it just seems to get harder by the day. But the reason that I'm still here and I suspect why many people are still here in hospitality is because it's an incredible business. It's an incredible thing to be part of your life, to be making people happy. And that's our job, is to make people happy. Whether we do it through great food, or great wine, or great service, or great ambiance, or whatever the things that are in our control, we can do that. And I think one of the things that I remember most in my career, if you're feeling a bit low, is to go out into the dining room and just listen to that noise that hum of people having a great time, enjoying themselves. Um, and I know it's not going to help you find the money to pay the fucking VAT um, <laughs> at 20 fucking percent. Um, uh, but it does help to kind of give you the steel um, to carry on. And I think going to, I've been, I've traded through two recessions um, in, in the past. And what, I've found that recessions have done is they make people a little bit more discerning. So the guys that are doing a really good job will still get people's buck. People will still go out, but they'll be a little bit more fussy about where they go. And, you know, I think we're probably going to go through a really miserable time. We're going to lose a bit of our industry. There are other factors at, at, at play as well. However, I do believe that where you get the passion, and this passion work is really overused. I think everyone's got the passion for cooking. No, it's a real visceral fucking thing that chefs have. It's that passion, that hunger, you know, to create great food in great, great uh, surroundings, you know, and give great service. And, and that's the thing, I'm 60 bloody four. You know, I should be retired by now. Um, but I still absolutely love our industry. It is such a unique 
you know, uh, uh, kind of thing. I love the people in it. And I, I think this, you know, we started off talking about this. I think this event is brilliant. We don't talk enough. We don't share our problems. Our problems are very similar. We all have the same kind of issues, just in different parts. So this is brilliant to, to talk about. So sorry, um, bit of a long answer for that one. Um, this is definitely the hardest time. Um, maybe 1991 was just for a small period even worse than this because if you remember interest rates went up to 17% and I had to go back to the bank twice to ask them to increase their overdraft and the last time the guy said right we'll do it we'll give you another five grand but that's it if you go one penny over I'm foreclosing on you and um, nobody's actually put us that close to going down at the moment but it is it's it's a it's a challenging set of times but I think we just need to keep the heart, keep the thing that makes us, uh, makes us chefs, makes us restaurateurs, makes us hoteliers, and we'll get through this. Sorry. If we didn't believe in, in what it was that we're doing, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here, we wouldn't be having this conversation. What have we got in front of us for our next course? Well, you can smell it, you guys can smell this at home, but, you know, everybody in this room can smell it. Um, this is fantastic beef. We, we use what I, I believe is the best selected beef in Scotland. It's from a company called McDuff's, um, and they hand-select our, um, our cattle. We buy it on the bone. We buy the, the whole rib, loin, fillet attached, and they age it for us until they think it's ready to give to us. Um, so we've got a little pie on the side. So we've got the oxtail. I grew up eating oxtail soup. I love oxtail. And then we've got um, the, the ribeye, you know, plenty of fat through it, the marbling, nice uh, hen of the woods mushroom, mushroom puree, some ketchup, but some beef dripping going through the Madeira sauce as well. You can smell it. It's beautiful. Katrine, I need to talk about your fans because they're a real movement, right? And I've waited till you've put a whole mouthful <laughs> in. So take a second. Um, but I wanted to know, what is one of the... Is there any uh, strange things that fans have ever done for you to express their love of you? I mean, okay, it's... Do they have a name as well? Do you have a name for your fans? I think early on, there was a, a, a sort of a catriots at one point. But okay. I think that's gone by the wayside. I don't know. <laughs> um, look, it's, it's amazing. You don't get to be part of something like this very often I mean this opportunity doesn't come very often and it's very incredible I mean one of the funnier moments I went to Iceland a couple of years ago uh with my husband and um <laughs> we went to the Blue Lagoon as you do because you got to go and it's amazing even if it's very touristy it is um and I was in the changing rooms and I was not I mean, I don't think I was wearing anything. I might have had a towel around my waist. And these two old ladies came over to me who also really weren't wearing anything. And they were like, hey, are you? And I was like, um, <laughs> this is an interesting place and uh, kind of, yeah, state to be in to have a conversation. And they were so lovely. They were from Queens, New York, and they, they wanted to talk a lot about Claire and Jamie and Outlander. <laughs> I was sort of standing there going... I'm buck naked, like, can I just, um, as chefs, do you get, like, fans who get quite passionate about your work? Yeah, you do get people get quite passionate about your food, I think. Yeah, but you're in a different league than us, Nick. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, I would hate to think that, you know, that people were 
stalkerish because you were on the telly. I'd like to think they were stalkerish because of the food that you made. Do you have any overzealous fans? Well, I'd have hilarious because I've got a brother who's more famous than me. So I, I do have to spend, I sort of stopped going out Friday, Saturday nights because I had to argue with people that I wasn't who they thought I was. Um, but my funniest moment was in Edinburgh when I was um, chaining my bike up to, during the festival some years ago, going to do an open mic gig. So for those that don't know, you do the show you've written all year and then halfway through you start preparing material for next year's show. So you do that at the open mics down the cow, Cowgate or whatever. And I'm chaining up my bike and there's some isosceles triangle of terror comes towards me. There's always a Fraser involved. I don't know if you've noticed statistically. And the head of the gang goes, Fraser, I'll take a photo of me and the big man off the telly. That's an Edinburgh <laughs> accent, by the way. <laughs> uh, and interestingly, he hadn't actually spoken to me. And so I didn't want to say anything because he hadn't addressed me yet. Mon Fraser, busy man. He's probably going to go to the telly. Take a picture of me and the big man. And I'm like, right, okay. And then eventually goes, um, excuse me, buddy. Do you mind if we get a photo with you? I'm like, no, no problem. He goes, excellent. Thank you. Right, Fraser, that's me and Omid Jalali. <laughs> so, Omid Jalali is um, five foot three, um, of uh, Iranian heritage, lives in Hounslow, West London, has no fucking hair, <laughs> and is 17 kilograms heavier than me. Um, so, I don't, you know, when somebody says that to you, you kind of go... Yeah, I'm sorry, Paul, you've got the wrong guy. He's got his arm around me. This is the most intimacy I'd had in the month of August. He had his arm around me already, ready for the picture. And I said, I'm sorry, pal, I'm not Omid Jalali. And of all the typewriters in all the universes, the following response would not have ever been one that could have been written. So I said to him, I'm not Omid Jalali. And he goes, ah, you are. <laughs> At which point I had an existential crisis, thinking that's where my career's gone so fucking wrong. I hadn't realised it was Omid Jalali. <laughs> Nick, I want to talk to you about, um, unfortunately, one of your restaurants did set on fire and burn down. And you said to me that you managed to get everyone out of there in 90 seconds. I don't think I could get myself out of somewhere in 90 seconds, never mind a whole room full of guests. Um, Well, I need to make clear, I wasn't there. I was in the other restaurant um, and I was cooking, so... um uh, my We got a phone call from our GM from the restaurant in Bridge of Allen. And she said, I'm not going to lie, it's a bit of an issue. Um, so Julia jumped in her car to go and find out what the bit of an issue was. And Lake of Manteith is about 30 miles from Bridge of Allen. And so I finished plating up the last table, jumped in my car, phoned Julia, and was chatting away about you know what it could possibly be. And then she suddenly went, oh my God. And she saw the, the, the smoke, the tower of smoke, about five or six miles away. Just So it was clearly very serious, and it happened very quickly. But it happened on Saturday night during service. And there, there was the odd It suggest- always happens Saturday night in service. Yeah, yeah. It's never Tuesday lunchtime, is it? No, <laughs> no 100, 120 people in the restaurant, nobody paid. And people think I did it deliberately, you know, for the insurance. Um, so you wouldn't do it on a Saturday night, that's for sure. Um, I think what happened was one of the chefs um, came out of the kitchen and screamed. And a, a screaming chef would indicate that there's something seriously wrong, um, at which point everybody just legged it and um, we, we just cleared the whole restaurant. What uh, did go wrong? Um, all right, I'm going to be very careful here. Um, a piece of kitchen equipment malfunctioned, sir. 
and it's currently the subject of a court case. Okay, okay. <laughs> and nothing to do with you. No, no. I like that. It our, wasn't the dishwasher. It dish, wasn't the dishwasher. The dishwasher was absolutely, <laughs> I mean, amazing. The dishwasher survived better than anything else. And, and, and where, where is he working now? <laughs> <laughs> we still have him. Um, uh, but you are nearly rebuilt? Yeah, yeah. yeah? It's, um, so the fire was um, nearly two years ago. It was August the 28th, um, uh, uh, 2021. Um, yeah, it's not been the best time to be rebuilding a restaurant. Um, building uh, costs and just getting guys. And, and you and also, also told me earlier on you kept everybody on. Uh, not everybody, but all our senior guys, yeah. So we, we, we have kept them um, ready for the opening, but we did think we were only going to have them on our books for another six months, you know, and that's 18 months later. But, uh, you know, you're only as good as your team and the, and the guys around about you. And if you get really good guys, you want to keep the, keep the band together. 100%. Yeah. So, so that's what we've done. And um, we are, I think, uh, we had a meeting this morning and I think we're pretty much sure that we will be reopening either last week in June or the first week in July in uh, Bridge of Allen. And our cook school, which got flooded, yeah, you wouldn't get on a plane with us. Um, it should reopen before the restaurant. Um, so we'll go back to having a full kind of compliment. I mean, you've had flyers, floods, I'm expecting locusts, frogs, <laughs> yeah, boils the, the size of 50p. Uh-huh. But, you know, as I said earlier, there's a will, there's a way, and uh, we'll be back. I mean, the great thing is, for the first time in my life, I'm going to have a purpose-built kitchen. Because normally you're shoehorning all the kit into an existing space. So this time I was able to design the kitchen and then put a box around about it. We've been drinking some lovely wine whilst we've been sat here. But Katrina, you have your own gin, just staying on tipples. Um, Forget-me-not gin, correct? What made you want to do that? And are you going to do... You've done a batch. Are you doing another batch? We did one batch. We are in the process of getting it up and running again. Obviously... The pandemic happened and Brexit happened. I mean, when we did our first batch, I mean, why did I want to do it in the beginning? Um, we were talking, me and my husband and a friend of his who's in the hospitality and drinks business. And we were kind of talking about the arts and how it's been so underfunded here, abroad, everywhere I travel. Governments are slashing support for the arts left, right and centre And we were kind of talking about, well, what if we did something where we could, you know, use a percentage of the profits to give back and that the whole ethos of the brand would be that it's about kind of getting artists to help, you know, we would, we would fund them, we would kind of support them. And then in turn, we could use their art and promote it. And, you know, we were just riffing and we were kind of like, let's try one batch and see what happens. And we did something like 2,000 bottles and it sold within a day. And we were like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, let's go and do more of this. And then, and when we did that, we were able to take the order, ship it, get it to anywhere in Europe within two days. And then Brexit happened. And it was like, well, no, you can't do that. And then to ship to the US, there's like a lot of complicated complicated loopholes because there's a very strange system in the US that still exists since prohibition. Um, And then I got pregnant. So you can't really be flogging booze when you're pregnant. (laughs) So we just put a pause on everything and we're about to launch. I I don't want to give a time because there's still stuff we're sorting out, but we're, we're going again. It's coming soon, but forget me not is um, not 
<laughs> I thought you laughed there. I was like, I'm not going to have another baby. Um, no, I was thinking, don't complain about um, exporting to Europe. You know, we've got our country back. That's what... <laughs> Isn't it great? So much. Well, you know, keep the, and you know, if you want, send it, send it over in the boats that we're sending back, right? <laughs> Maybe that's what I should do. I just see if I got, can. Well, the, this time is about thinking outside the box, inside the boat, but outside the box. <laughs> I mean, it is. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. What has, was so simple has now become so complicated. Why gin? Is is gin your your favorite drink? Or, I mean, it. Look, I. I'm somebody who likes a lot of drinks. Um, <laughs> but gin is something that I think you can play around with the flavors in a really interesting way within a very short space of time. I mean, obviously, if you want to do like a real whiskey or things like that, like that takes a long time to like get them aged and all of that. And I like I I love a gin during the summer. So it's about being able to, you know, hopefully we do this one are staple and then I would like to do interesting flavors and like the idea is to do special batches and stuff like that like make it something that's a little bit more kind of unique and and have artists come in or people come in to kind of like put their stamp on it as well and work in conjunction with people and you know we've we're working with SWG3 um we're going to fund arts artist spaces We've done it with our last batch. We're going to do that continuing. And we hope to like do those projects in various different countries as well. Just to kind of, I don't know, it's to do something fun. I'm not, I don't know. I, I like to do things like this in terms of it's an interesting outlet for me in a different type of creative way. And it's also something where I can like invest in stuff that I'm interested in and like help in a way. I'm not, I'm not necessarily here going <laughs> to... I'm not going to take over the gin business for the rest of the world, but it's, yeah, it's fun. Have any of you ever wanted or have you made your own alcohol? Yeah. Actually, in the process of making a spring beer at the moment. Ooh. Um, oh, nice. I'm a part of Slow Food Glasgow and um, a friend of ours, Harry, he's got a, um, a small um, distillery over on the south side. So we're um, foraging sticky willies and sugar kelp. Infusing it. In Do that. sticky willies? <laughs> I'm not going to finish that sentence. <laughs> Cleavers. I don't think. You, I don't think you need to. I think that is a complete sentence. <laughs> sticky willies. You, you know sticky willies. Yeah. No, I know what they are. Yeah. I, I was about to. I was about to finish that sentence. I'll just say. It. Do they have a flavour? <laughs> cucumber. Really? And sometimes yeah, really pineapple. <laughs> Pea, cucumber, that kind of thing. Pineapple. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions? Uh, hi, my name is Rohan. Uh, I've been in Glasgow more than 17 years, uh, coming from uh, Mumbai, India. Uh, so you guys are earlier talking about the language and the fun side of it. So I would like uh, how to say if you encounter any kind of fun side of when understanding the beginning of your career, when you settle down and then, you know, you try to understand a local language because Glasgow got very heavy accent. I mean, just to give an example, uh, I came in 2006 and uh, I was working for one of the hotels there and then one of the Scottish boys told me, there's a bucketing outside, you got a jacket. The only two word, two word I understand, there, a bucket and a jacket. I somebody put my jacket in a bucket. That's what I understand. 
So, you know, these kind of incidents happened to you. And I went downstairs to the lockers to see actually somebody put my jacket in a bucket. And I said to him, I said, no, my jacket is still there. And he said, no, you don't understand, isn't it? I said, no, I don't understand a clue. <laughs> so, these kind of incidents happened. <laughs> a couple of things here. One, if you are foraging for mushrooms, make sure it's the right ones you're foraging for. Um, and it's, it's interesting, you see... I think Bombay. I think Bombay is probably the best city on the planet for street food. Incredible food uh, everywhere. But I'm, I'm I'm from here, so the accent is more an issue for other people than it is for me. Although my mum worked with an African fellow once, a guy from uh, Rwanda who came over, and he was awfully scared to go out and go and get a, a sandwich or a Greg's at lunchtime. My mum says, "Do you want me to come out with you?" And he goes, "You could you." And she goes, "What's wrong, um, Addy?" And he goes, "Just everyone seems like they're going to start fighting." It's just that's just the way Ouija speak to each other. It's like you know, we're loving each other. It seems like a fight. So I can imagine you must have been scared. Um, but no, it's a it's a great city, um, full of great curry, Rohan. But um, not nearly as um, as uh, as uh, good as street food as um, Jew Beach or Santa Cruz or uh, anywhere like that. Do you want to just tell us about our amazing dessert that's in front of us? I think everyone else is already enjoying. So there's this brilliant company called Bare Bones. Um, they're bean-to-bar chocolate makers. Um, so we, we buy our chocolate from then, all ethically sourced. Um, so we make this little puff pastry tart, really gooey in the center. And we use a, a forage berry called sea buckthorn um, to balance it out. Gives it tropical notes, but also gives it nice acidity. Um, and I lied on the menu. On the menu it says creme fraiche ice cream, but this is not creme fraiche ice cream. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> um, you could have kept that a secret no, 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 I don't believe in lying <laughs> after all this truth and honesty we had earlier on no cheating no. on the dessert this evening <laughs> it's, it's a barley infused ice cream so it's malted barley, we malt it here in the house it's barley we got from Feta Kern Distillery um, and then we used the wood chips from one of their sherry cask to infuse in the ice cream as well I, I love it, you know, I think it's very nice well, I haven't tasted it yet, but Katrina, you seem to be very much enjoying it, so I will this take is that. Amazing. <laughs> um, so I have uh, one or two final questions, and one of them is: you're all very successful <coughs> in your careers. So, do you think there's kind of a crossover in getting to that point in terms of hard work, ambition, determination? You said, Katrina, you didn't actually get your break till you were thirty. So. Do you think that's a, a prominent thing? If you need, if you're successful, it's you do not give up. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, when I got Outlander, I'd never done TV before, and I was sort of thrust in at the head of a show. But I think the similarities are that when you are on a show or when you have a restaurant, you kind of live in that world, and nothing else sort of exists. You know, we do fourteen, fifteen hour days, sixteen hour days, seventeen hour days. So do people in a restaurant and you don't, I don't know, you become kind of a, you live in that bubble and you sort of, the real world doesn't exist outside it, I think, for the duration of the time. We, we kind of get more breaks, I think, than you guys do. <laughs> our problem is we don't get that much time off. So our bubble yeah. is almost permanent. Um, and it is, it's difficult. It's really difficult to try and um, balance, you know, the, the energy and the effort you put into what you do and real life, I think that is it, it, it's difficult. Um, I've got better at it, but when I was younger, I was totally crap at it. Absolutely. 
I mean, it's food, 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 food. First thing in the morning to last thing at night. It was all really, you know, kind of mattered. Um, I have a slightly broader um, view of the world now. And that must be the challenge because, you know, we, I think we have a really tough season. Like, I shop for a year solid, but a restaurant never closes. You know, that's the thing. And, and you can't sort of rest on your laurels ever. It's not like you reach a point where you kind of go, okay, well, we've set the menu. <laughs> there you go. It's you're constantly innovating and it's constantly, are we keeping our standards? I think COVID had a big impact. You know, I've, I, I think I look young. I may not look young. I have no idea. But I used to look young. <laughs> um, but COVID, You still look young. Um, COVID made us step back, step out of the kitchen, you know, immerse ourselves in family life, think outside the box, trying to keep the, the wheels going of our, you know, our businesses. Um, and, and it really made us look inwards again, you know, from out there um, and, and reassess what was important. Because as Nick was saying, before that, it was food, 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 a little bit of family, more food, food, food. And it's, it's not a healthy way to be, you know. No. So I, I think it was quite helpful. It was helpful for me. And I know it was helpful for a lot of my friends in the industry that I talk to on a regular basis. Um, yeah, trying to find a balance. Balance is elusive. You know, I mentioned earlier on we close three days a week. You know, I'll never go back to working five days a week or six. Well, I, I do. I'm still in here on a Monday and Tuesday. But, you know, that's when I get the paperwork done and all the rest of it. But people you know, speaking to me. Look, when we first started Outlander, we were doing 11-day fortnights. So we do six days a week, have one day off, then five days a week, two days off. And you're working 15, 16-hour days. I mean, I after a year of that, I was, you know, verging on a nervous breakdown. Um, and I've been very lucky since I had my child that I was able to negotiate a four-day week. And it's changed everything. You know, I, I couldn't, I don't know how any young mother not young, a new mother. <laughs> um, I don't know how they could do either of these industries in a traditional way and have a child. I mean, you know, it is International Women's Day after all, and let's talk about the, the challenges of being a, a woman who wants to have a ch child in either of our industries. I'm sure it's next to impossible. You have to stand you have to step off the ladder in terms of where you're going in your career if you want to have a child. Um. <laughs> Freedom, yeah. <laughs> it's a difficult industry to, to have a child stop and come back, right? It's incredibly different. Uh, di diff different. It's difficult. incredibly difficult. Yeah, yeah, for sure it is. And you, you, you try to accommodate. Yeah, of course you do. Um, but... Uh, it's a demanding industry, you know, restaurants, it's not like hotels where you can split your shifts and, you know, you have a bigger workforce. In, in restaurants, the margins are very tight, so you always have a very small workforce, so you always um, not demand more from your staff, but, you know, everybody pulls in, everybody chips in. You know, if one person's down, the rest of the team have to pull together, and it's, it's very difficult I, I'm only as good as everybody around me, and luckily for me, I've got a brilliant team here. You know, they're absolutely fantastic. And, and that's, you know, people say, why are there not so many women in cooking? It's not because they're not great cooks. It's because the, the, the deck is stacked against them, you know, in terms of biological stuff. You're going to have a kid, you're going to have a kid, you're going to be out of the business for a while. 
And you're right, you know, our, our exec chef was a guy who's just had, uh, his wife's just had a baby, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the money you get paid for that is absolutely rubbish. It's, it's obscene. Um, you know, and so as, as, as an employer and, 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 as, and as a member of the, the kind of family, um, you know, we're helping out in that. And that shouldn't be up to us. That should be a, a right that they have. Um, so there, there does need to be a bit, of, um, bit of change and a bit of support. You know, and, and whilst we're talking about that, there are things that the government could be doing to help our industry at the moment. Um, and, and, and it happens in other parts of Europe. And one of them is the VAT. You know, that could be cut from 20%. And the VAT is killing us at the moment. It's, it's, it's the, the biggest single burden we have. Um, and that could be cut. And, you know, in, in the rest of Britain and, and, and in England and Wales, non-domestic rates, business rates, have been cut by 75%. We don't have that in Scotland. Um, and that makes life even harder. So there are certain things that could happen like that that would help us to, you know, to support our, our team better. And, and I take my hat off to you to, to making that four-day week work because your landlord wouldn't be saying, do you know what, while you're shutting those three days, I'm not going to charge you any rent, you know, and your standing charges, they, they'll still be there. Your loans will still be there. But you have to think about the, the wage cost for the, that extra day. You know, the wage cost, that would cost me four members of staff. You're talking nearly 100 grand a year, yeah. you know, you're not talking about your your um, your electricity and service costs on top of that, you know. So you have to balance that up. And the other great thing, of course, if you're only on four days a week and you're the same team, you've got consistency on your offer. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You've always and, been and, your and everybody's fresh. You know, yeah. they get a day off the weekend, which I never had. You know, up until very recently when I made that change. Um, so I think it's the the way the industry's going. You know, I think for this style of a restaurant, the days have been open six, seven days a week, over, gone. Not coming back. Right. I think I'm going to round this up. Um, we've all eaten the food. We've drank most of the wine. I think we've still got a little bit of wine on, on this table. I'm sure we will finish it, though. Um, and we've asked all the questions. So Grilled Live has been an absolute pleasure for me. Um, thank you again to my brilliant guests, Katrina. Thank you to Hardy, Peter and Nick. And thank you to the team at the Gannet. I think they deserve a big round of applause. Well done, everybody. Um, also, just a final thank you to our sponsor, Alaska Seafood. And, of course, our fabulous audience. Give yourselves a round of applause. You've been amazing. Thank you. As I said, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as, as we have. Um, if you want to listen to any more of our episodes, you can download them all where you normally get your podcasts and give us a follow and you'll never miss an episode. But thank you and good night and enjoy the rest of your evening. <laughs>